the ability to meet someone where they are is something that we didn't get at that time, but is probably what I'm proudest to be able to provide. Again, I hope that we raise enough funds to, as I always say, flip the script on this disease, but providing just togetherness and hope and just understanding to a family who's going through this at any stage of that continuum is probably the most powerful thing. Welcome to glioblastoma, aka GBM, a podcast brought to you by the Glioblastoma Research Organization, highlighting stories with GBM warriors, caregivers, medical advisors, and more. Join us this season as we connect with members of our incredible community and have meaningful and insightful chats regarding all things glioblastoma. Please note that any information provided on this show is not meant to treat, diagnose, or prevent any disease, and all information that is discussed in our conversation is what worked for the individual themselves and should not be taken as advice. The information provided in the show is not a substitute for professional medical advice, and you should contact your medical provider and healthcare team with any questions. Welcome back to another episode of Glioblastoma, aka GBM. I'm your host, Amber Barback, and today we're joined by Colin Gurner, who is the president and co-founder of the nonprofit organization, Staff Strong. Colin has been a huge game changer in the glioblastoma and brain cancer space. He's created this incredible nonprofit organization in honor of his brother who passed away a few years back and has since created incredible campaigns and has donated upwards of $2 million to brain cancer research at cancer centers all across the world. We're so lucky to have him on today, and I hope you enjoy our conversation. Colin Gurner, welcome to the show. We're so excited to have you today. We've been in touch for some time now, and we're very excited to have you on, not just from a caregiver perspective, but also as someone who founded an extremely successful nonprofit organization, Stash Strong. So thank you for joining. Thank you for having me. So I'd love to hear, and as well as for our guests to hear about how your story with glioblastoma began, talk a little bit about your brother and what led you to where you are today. Absolutely. So glioblastoma and GBM was a term that I was wildly unaware of as a 25-year-old living in New York City with my brother, who was 28 at the time when he had a seizure Labor Day weekend of 2017. Completely healthy, working in Manhattan, not the call you're expecting from his best friend to say that he had had a seizure. And after 10 plus hours in the hospital that day, they found a mass on his brain larger than a golf ball. Again, still at this point, holding out hope that it wasn't cancerous and let alone GBM, again, a term that we were not familiar with, but as fate would have it, it ended up being a glioblastoma. As you're fully aware, holds a very difficult life expectancy, especially of someone who's about to turn 29, has an entire life ahead of them. And my brother went into brain surgery, you know, knew he wasn't immediately going back to work. So shaved down to a little mustache, going into surgery, just kind of a way to, I'd say, lighten the mood. And dad and I followed suit again as the only thing you could really do at that point. You know, we couldn't go into brain surgery. We couldn't take that tumor away. But the three of us with mustaches became our little, our little thing. And, you know, my brother, as I always love to say, was out of the hospital after an invasive brain surgery, reading the Wall Street Journal two days later, right? So from day two of that journey, he was different and how he 
attacked things and responded to treatments and what we went through. So we realized that a lot of people weren't as fortunate. You know, we started Stash Strong organically as a family mantra, a rallying call, just because the three of us had silly mustaches. People started to follow suit. And, you know, obviously a lot has happened that we can get into. But in four years since deciding to start Stash Strong as a nonprofit during my brother's battle, we've raised over $2 million and have funded 17 clinical trials. Again, something as organic and simple as deciding to go into brain surgery with a mustache has become a movement and and pillar and beacon of hope for a lot of people. Right. And so I think a really interesting thing that I'm curious about is a lot of people, and I get this question a lot, is that when you're going through a tough time, not everyone's first idea of what to do in that stressful situation is to create a nonprofit organization. So it began as something that was family oriented and something that brought you guys hope, but how did it turn into where it is today? Yeah. Truthfully, it was therapeutic. I was behind closed doors just writing about his battle and treatments and ecology and everything you go through. Again, two accountants in Manhattan, not well versed in what he was going through. And I just kind of did this for a couple months. Again, behind closed doors, just started to make a website because it just helped me process it at the time, right? Truthfully. And I sat with him in March, so nearly six months after diagnosis. And to say, hey, this is what I've been working through. We can never talk about this again. It's helped me. And for those six months, that was all I needed, right? And he looked at me without hesitation. He's like, no, we're going to do this. Like, we're going to help people. And he always said who are, who are less fortunate than me in the sense of his diagnosis that we were told had 10 to 15 months to live. He was doing so well in the beginning that there were so many people who were doing worse. And his natural inclination to action was to help others. And again, that's really, I think, where Staff Strong blossoms into something a lot more than a family thought, because here we were, again, we went through a recurrence, right? We went through multiple surgeries and radiation and chemotherapy, and he lived it out in the open. We had our Instagram and Facebook, and we were writing about what he was going through. Again, there's plenty that was very difficult days that we didn't touch on, but he was vulnerable and he was open with allowing that to happen. I think what happened was you watch this change, of course, where when you're told you have GBM, you're told not to Google it. We don't think that's solving anything, right? So what we decided to do is, is, is live loudly, right? Live staff strong, as we always say. And I think people were, were watching this journey and his device on his head of Optune and all that he was going through. And like it made it real as opposed to just saying, hey, I have a terminal disease at you know 29 years old. So by doing that and being vulnerable, I think it allowed others who were going through a very similar scenario, the comfort to also join in and build that community from day one, as opposed to just hiding behind it. And that's amazing. I know a lot of your campaigning and a lot of your nonprofit work is related to breweries. Can you talk about where you got that idea and how that ties into the stash strong, I guess, mantra and belief system? Yeah. So one of our now biggest campaigns is called Brew Staff Strong. We have hundreds of participating breweries across the country who will brew a collaboration beer and donate you know, a dollar per pint and can. And this has turned into over 300,000 pints being brewed annually, right? Again, started with one brewery. You know, We have a 5K, a New York City event, a New York City marathon. And this was just something we did with Oscar Blues out of Colorado because we had a board member who, who works for that brewery. And when COVID hit, we 
had to rethink all of our events because everything we did was in person and we were no longer able to do that. So we kind of took this two-year model with one brewery and decided to scale it and cold call and email. And, you know, again, we had a supporter base at that point who were connecting us with their favorite breweries and their state that they reside in. And all of a sudden we, you know, took an idea that had one brewery to hundreds participating only a couple of years and it's become a major source of revenue. And I think breweries love it because it's a full-time job for me, but it's not because I have a full-time job, right? Everything we do is volunteer-based. We have no salaries. We have no office expense, right? You know how that goes. It's a volunteer grind at that point. And breweries were able to resonate with our message. We're able to know that in their local community, if they sell a thousand pints and donate a thousand dollars, and that happens across 250 plus breweries, we're moving a quarter million dollars where a hundred percent of every dollar is going directly towards research and clinical trials, which separates us from, again, we become oddly one of the largest national beer collaborations in the country. And I, I think it's really comforting for these breweries to play a part in it and know that everything they're doing is going directly to research while also benefiting against a homegrown grassroots organization, much like a lot of breweries are. And when you start to look at scale of those hundreds participating, we're able to make a pretty profound impact at that point. Right. And that's amazing. Honestly, congratulations. I know, you know, I've been inspired by the work that you guys have done. And it's really nice to see that there are people that have been impacted by GBM are also working to make such a large impact and, you know, funding trials and research. And that leads me to my next question is, you said you mentioned you funded 17 clinical trials. My question is, how have you guys decided on those trials and where are those currently or any of actively enrolling? Like, can you share more about the projects that your money has gone to? Yeah. And that's my favorite part because when we first got started, you know, we raised $10,000 in an event and we're trying to figure out, you know, what organization to give to or what existing channel to research we could kind of work under. And for us, we grew very quickly and raised sizable funds and built a medical advisory board, right? I'll be the first to admit I'm, I'm dangerous with layman's terms in this disease, but I am not sitting through a 25-page proposal on the nuances of DNA sequencing and, and different pieces. So in setting up a medical advisory board, we're able to accept proposals, whether it's a clinical trial, right? So recently a phase zero sonodynamic therapy trial, which has great promise and is already enrolling patients at the Ivy Center in Arizona, you know, research grants from a neurosurgery perspective. So two of the most recent are UMiami and Northwestern funding a year's worth of research within their exact proposal. And, and these are graded at NIH levels, right, between the medical advisory board. Sometimes we work with other organizations that have that infrastructure in place. Our most recent sizable grant that got national attention was for the Glioma Connectome Project, we call it GCP, seven leading institutions across the country, basically um, looking at connectomics and study of the brain using AI technology. So better understanding to perform more successful surgeries and also the back end, right? Treatments and recovery, knowing, you know, if a tumor is in the front frontal lobe and it's connected to XYZ pathways of the brain, how is that going to impact the day you get out of surgery, right? A month out of surgery and collecting all of that information across these leading institutions where they're just enrolling their first patients in this and expected to have over 2,000 go through this based on MRIs and existing surgeries. So those are a few examples of, again, pretty high-powered research that we've been able to 
fund. Uh, it's obviously very helpful to have a medical advisory board of neurosurgeons, neuro-oncologists, neuroradiologists. It's something we're looking to enhance this year because we have worked with so many institutions, right? Outside of what I've mentioned off the top of my head, Yale, UPenn, Mount Sinai. We have a few upcoming with some big institutions, U Texas, Nebraska, again, UCSF, some leading institutions funding that research and knowing that when you take a step back, that's 17 grants that wasn't getting funded, right? A couple of years ago. And that's something that Staff Strong and myself take immense pride in because I remember being the brother, we were running Staff Strong, but we were hoping that we funded something quick enough that gave us more time, right? To be as open as possible. I selfishly thought if we blew this thing up, we could advance research that just bought more time for my brother. And that's not the case, but I continue to do that. And 17 grants is something we're proud of because hopefully we're moving one step closer to ensuring the next set of brothers, the next family that go through this have a potential resource and clinical trial and breakthrough that's going to help them. Again, whether it's clinical trial and drug development, eradicating it in buy time or, or even just the quality of life, right? The Connect Home project we're funding the amount of families I meet with that are just never the same after surgery. I mean, that's just unacceptable to me, right? He was lucky. My brother was lucky enough to have top surgeons. 25 months was a gift in the GBM space. So, you know, again, that's, I'm not satisfied with just getting that long, but I think it's both sides of the coin that we can help and fund to ultimately, you know, give more time to people. What do you think so far has been your favorite or most exciting project that you funded or the most interesting to you, or maybe it was the first one that you ever did. I'm sure that must've been a gigantic milestone. So like, what was that like? Wow. I'm actually doing this kind of moment for you. Yeah. I think one of those was at Mount Sinai. We funded a personal peptide vaccine through my brother's neuro-oncologist again, after he had passed, but has done really well since in that sense, it's hard. You know, you have to build the data and proof that that peptide vaccine works and look to scale and bring in big dollars for a development of that. But that was one of the first times where, you know, working with the National Brain Tumor Society in in tandem on that grant, you're able to see something that was graded really highly, something that was personal to us because, again, I met with this woman for years, right? You know, as a brother of a patient and to know that someone who's been on that has done really well and just is celebrating their two-year, you know, no evidence of disease, and they reach out to you as a family and let you know, like, hey, like this was something you funded that has benefited us. You take a step back and it's not cure, right? We're not there. But knowing that a family with a young child, you were able to, you know, in just one example, have a grant and a program that's helping is huge. And then the, the GCP, from a scale perspective, having seven leading institutions come together, knowledge share, data share, work on this project. That's what hasn't changed in so long, right? It's been this like siloed approach. We do nothing siloed in our day-to-day from a corporate perspective. Why are we doing it in the fight against brain cancer? So that has the ability where we have seven currently starting to enroll patients. That can jump to 20 plus in a year or two. That has NIH attention. Is something where, again, we were able to launch for about $500,000. And you could be looking at something that's getting funded with five to $50 $50 million in the future based on you know how that goes and, and the data that comes from that. So those two things from a, a first point, benefiting family and knowing that you're helping to a point of like, 
oh man, we're scaling some of these projects and we're touching top institutions across the country is two things that continue to drive me to drive change. And talking about scaling, I know, you know, particularly for me and my nonprofit, our baseline grant was like $2,000 and now we're at 50,000, which is, I never thought I would even raise $2,000. So I guess I'm just curious for you, where did you start as far as grant giving and where are you at now? Yeah. I mean, our first grant, my focus early on was how can you work? And it still is, but especially early on, how can we work with either another org or a large donor that, you know, let's say we have our first grant of dollars from Staff Strong was 25K matched for 25K to make a 50K grant, right? Year one was 60K, right? We just moved 40% of funds for half of a grant versus last year we raised over $1.2 million and got nearly all of that directly out the door to fund $100,000 grants, $350,000 grant, $500,000 grant. That area of scale where, again, I look at as 50K, ultimately, as, as I've learned and have worked with institutions, 50K can provide a year's worth of research, right? Just that like bare minimum level based on what they're doing and resources, right? But when you start to look at a $500,000 grant across multiple institutions and hundreds of patients involved, I think that's the point of where we're at currently. But we don't leave the 50K grants alone, right? If we get a neurosurgery grant, we just got one in for 75K from an organization on, on a research grant that they're looking to conduct, right? If it's graded high and it has belief of scientific promise from those that have devoted their careers to this, like we're funding it. We're taking shots on goal because I think so often too, you get to this point where if you look at pancreatic cancer, for example, I always point to that. It used to be a death wish, right? And enough grants started small enough to get to that point where you reach scale and you reach multiple grants at different organizations and institutions to the point that there's a much stronger survivor rate at this point because of that, right? You can't start with a million dollar grant. It's unrealistic, but because of what we've been able to do, building those small grants have helped us reach other organizations, have helped us raise more dollars and have ultimately gotten it to a point where we're helping multiple institutions over the course of a year conduct academic research, conduct clinical trials where they weren't before, right? Or they weren't getting funding before and they might have a great idea, but the means weren't there from a couple organizations I reached out to. So that's kind of how I look at it of a 50K grant is sometimes as important as a $500,000 grant in the sense of getting that research off the ground from a top mind. We'll be right back in just a moment. And now back to the conversation. From having been on the patient side and like working with all these incredible institutions that you're mentioning to now going to working with them, how has that transition been from you from being, again, the brother of a patient to now someone that's giving people money to fund research and actually like making a huge impact in their lives? That's the thing that I think differentiates us from so many organizations. On paper, I'm the president and co-founder, right? I'm the CEO of this organization. I have my CPA. I've worked in business my whole life. I understand how to move that part. When I, I know what those patients need. I know what they're going through. So when I meet with a neuro-oncologist who has grant proposal out and I see 25% indirect costs, I'm like, in no world am I funding that because I know what it takes to move the needle. I've sat in that chair and said, hey, we don't have this available at this time. Like, Families don't have time. They needed something to happen 
yesterday, not tomorrow. So I'm able to kind of bring that combination of business acumen and understanding transaction side of things to patient forward, right? We can't keep yelling at we're patient forward if if we're not matching that through our actions and our grants. So that's a big thing for me that I that I focus on. I know there has to be a, a portion of indirect costs and salary and fringe, right? When you're funding these grants, but like I've also proven that 99% of every dollar that comes into Stastron goes directly to research. We've got it done. I want to make sure when I'm working with those organizations and partnering with those organizations that I'm not funding someone's salary because I'm busting my tail in my brother's memory to fund research, to make a difference, right? To drive change. So I think that combination of business experience with, hey, I'm, I'm a brother who lost it all, right? Like I'm not in this for Stash Strong's name. I'm not in this for my name. If we get to the point where we solve this thing, I don't need to be on the paper. I just need to know that when a family calls, I can point them to that paper, point them to that clinical trial, and they have resource for help and, and hopefully extended life. And how do you think your brother would feel seeing all the success that's come out of something that was just so close and personal to you guys? Stash Strong is my brother, right? It's become the story of thousands at this point because of our growth. But the root of what Stash Strong stands for and the hope that it provides is literally just an ongoing living testament to my brother. It's interesting because obviously I traded all to have him back, right? There's no question or hesitation for me there, but his big thing was always, you can only control what you can control. I can't control that. I can't bring him back. I can't do any of that. I know that. I've accepted that. But what I can control is continually driving this forward. I think about, again, if the roles were reversed, I think he would have done the same same thing, driving this forward. And you know, my memory, if it was my sister and my sister's memory, but I think he'd be damn proud to know that the way that he lived his 30 years on this earth have made a big difference for tens of thousands of people already. And a lot of people don't get that. It doesn't make any of it easier, but knowing that in 30 short years, the way that he always chose to live, even before GBM, right? Because we always get stuck on that. Like those 25 months were only one fifteenth of his life. Right. And there was a lot of life he lived before that and setting himself up to be the person he was, was just carried on as he was diagnosed, but because of how he lived every day, Stash Strong exists. And Stash Strong is, is an absolute motor for change. And I, I think it's something he'd be proud of knowing that he was simple, he was humble, but knowing that he's been able to have a difference through Stash Strong, I think is something he'd be pretty proud of. Yeah, that's incredible. Do you think that grief from losing your brother has impacted any way that you've run the nonprofit? Everything I do is a grieving process, right? In the grand scheme of things, I think it's really interesting because, again, I consider myself fortunate that I have this avenue, this outlet to always speak his name, right? There's a lot of people I've met and everyone grieves differently and that's okay. And that's the first thing I'll ever say and learn through this is everyone's going to handle GBM and death differently. For me, being able to speak across the country, run a social account, connect with organizations and donors and all these people and families going through this. That's how I grieve. That's how Stash Strong exists and has continued to grow and expand because I'm just not satisfied because my brother should still be here, right? This should be his 34th birthday coming up. But because that was taken away from me and my family, I grieve through driving this forward, right? We have the ability to, when I connect with a family, 
I can connect with you on day one of diagnosis, year one, one year past in memory, and and I can relate to you, right? Because I've unfortunately been in those shoes. And because of that, I think we're able to create a community that grieving is okay. And fighting for change and advancement and research is what we need to hopefully make sure that that loss wasn't happening in vain. That's how I package it. And it's worked to the point we have, again, thousands of people who unfortunately have lost a loved one to this disease. And if we can activate one another and Again, in simple ways, right? Bruce Dastrong coming full circle back to that. If every person that has reached out to me in the past year alone, let alone the past four years, that has lost someone to GBM, brought in one brewery to this campaign, this would be a $2 million campaign tomorrow morning. That's it. I'm not asking for individuals to go out of their comfort zone and stand on a stage like I do and talk about that. I know that's hard for people. Small activity can make a huge difference in what we're doing. And, And guess what? Sastrong is one organization. There are a lot of great organizations doing things like this. So how can we work better together, right? How can we use that community for change? Because again, I say it all the time, Sastrong's name doesn't have to be on it, but I need to be able to point a family to that when they call and reach out to me. Right. And what do you think has been the most rewarding for you? Of course, you know, you, you've created an incredible entity in honor of your brother and you're changing the lives of different people. But what would you say has been the best part of this whole experience, like looking at the silver lining of it? I think it's able to meet people where they are. We were fortunate to have the five of us be so close beforehand. We were a unit and we marched on the, the minute that tumor happened, right? Like we didn't stop. We didn't have to change who we were, or what we were doing. That's just how we operated. But I wish, and I always say this, I wish we had a Stastron. I wish we had an org and a Colin and a GJ and that you could reach out to and just just chat, right? right? And that's what we provide for people because when you go through this and whether it's someone I've never, we have no direct connections, they just Googled, found our Instagram account, found our website, watched a documentary and just felt comfortable to reach out. Happens all the time. Whether it's someone who has been following us for years and just finally reaches out, the ability to meet someone where they are is something that we didn't get at that time, but is probably what I'm, proudest to be able to provide again. I hope that we raise enough funds to, as I always say, flip the script on this disease, but providing just togetherness and hope and just understanding to a family who's going through this at any stage of that continuum is probably the most powerful thing. And you look at something, our marathon team, right? We have 25 runners this year, two of which I grew very close with the families over the past year and a half, two years. Both have lost their parents since that point. I met them at the race in November, it's June, and they've already passed. And it breaks my heart because I get close to so many people who go through this, but you're able to at least provide them with a friend, a resource, a contact, a confidant, because you know how it goes. I have the best friends in the world. Some of them have never seen what I've seen in GBM. It's just a reality. But when that daughter reaches out to me and we create a friendship and a bond because we've seen the same evils. We don't necessarily have to talk about that exactly, but we understand it. So I'm able to meet them where they are. And I think that's the most powerful thing because that's something that isn't always given to people. And I think if you ask the majority of people who are going through this, if they could just have an hour, let alone a year long relationship with someone who can understand every day and the recurrence and 
steroids and the responses and the speech and all the things that are, I mean, we could talk for hours just around what we've seen. I think it's a lot for sure. A lot of people. That's interesting to hear you say that. I think that's something that I guess I'm most proud of for my nonprofit too, is that when I was going through it, I was like, I Googled like every single other person, like what is GBM? What is glioblastoma? And so that's why I like the name of this podcast, glioblastoma, AKA GBM. Cause it literally is the first thing you see when you go on Google. Right. And there was no information source besides like some like Mayo Clinic page. And I was like, I mean, I'm sure you've seen it too. You've been through everything, right? It's so nice to, where are we at four years now? That the, I guess both of our organizations have been in existence and it's like, they both come so far. And I think both of us having to work together to create this place of information and comfort for people. It's really nice to see. And I guess it's nice that we're, we're both doing similar things and being able to help people, I guess, all over the world. Yeah. And how powerful is that for you running the social account? When a family says, my dad, my brother, was, my sister was just diagnosed, like, thank you for this. Something so simple, but it's like- We get those messages every single day. Every day. And you're able to be in a position now to help them, to guide them, to put them onto recent happening in research, a, another organization, a family, a person going through it currently, a person who's grieving, whatever the case may be. All of a sudden, we're creating these relationships and networks that build this community of GBM where- even five years ago, people just didn't talk about it in the same manner. And now right. you're able to simply by choosing to take a tough scenario, make a social, make a organization, you're able to be that platform for people who need it. And that's what I do on a daily basis. And that's what a lot of these orgs are starting to do. Like now the next step is how do we better do it together? Right. How do we take a, all these communities of thousands of people and okay, this is what your strength is and what you guys are doing, push to this. And this is what we're doing and we can help here. And all of a sudden you just multiply that impact because I think it starts at building a community. That's what is going to change the outcomes on this disease. And what's next for you in the the organization? Where do you see Stack Strong going? What do you want to accomplish? And I guess, what's your vision for the future? Yeah, I think we're at a point, right? So our annual events, we have obviously Brain Tumor Awareness Month, where we tell a daily story for 31 days of a family going through this. We have Bruce Dash Strong in the spring with hundreds of breweries committed. We have our annual 5K, which has turned into a national event. We had 1,500 plus participants in all 50 states participate in September this year. This year is our fifth. Wow. Then we have the New York City event annually and our New York City Marathon team, where we're up to 25 bibs. It's growth of all those events, right? That's a lot as a volunteer run organization without, you know, we have a great board, great volunteers, but there's no one whose job it is to do this, right? Like it's, it's my job because I'm the president and spend a lot of time here, but there's no like paid salary individuals. So it's growth of all of those. And then we're introducing a golf tournament in Florida, actually, in the nice. Jupiter area in May of next year. That's been something we've been working behind the scenes for six months already, kind of focused on bigger sponsors, donors, individuals, in a golf tournament where you have a limited amount of people who can participate. But if you take all of those events, we did all of those last year besides the golf tournament, raised over $1.2 million. That growth year over year of the new community and new individuals that become part of the Stash Strong family, even just sustaining those events, we're experiencing 20, 30% still growth year over year of each event, there's no reason why we don't raise 3 million in two years, right? In a single year. And I think it's getting to that point of now because we had over 5,000 individual donors last year, not a lot of large dollar donors, but 
we have a community, we have a base, we have a working product and nonprofits. How do we take that next step to, you know, I, I go to a lot of speaking engagements with larger corporations that do a speaking fee and, and want to donate bigger dollars because they realize the money that we're raising is making a very tangible and immediate impact in this space. So it's kind of just continually to grow, continue to work with other organizations. That's my biggest long-term strategic growth. Like all of these organizations need to be working together because we have right. the same goal. We have the same mission. It's not two beverage industry companies competing against each other for market space. This is not a market space issue. This is a, a vendetta for a lot of people against GBM because of what it's done to them in their personal life. So how can we better leverage each other's resources and capacity and infrastructure to make a difference quicker? Because again, we can't say we're patient forward if we're not doing everything we can to live that. Right. And for those that want to get involved with Staff Strong, what's the best way to do that? Instagram is at Staff Strong. Our website is staffstrong.org. That's S-T-A-C-H-E strong.org. Staffstrong at gmail.com. Again, I think the two, I always put it out to our thousands of supporters, the two easiest ways to make an immediate impact without having to overextend yourself are through our 5K, which is the September 17th weekend. Register, create a team. You know, we send our, our t-shirt with our logo, a bib. You know, you just kind of get together in your community across the country, walk, head to a restaurant after, just raise awareness and raise funds in, in that capacity. You know, registration's live right now through the event. And then Bruce Dastrong is the greatest model <laughs> that has been set up and cultivated at this point where if anyone has a connection to a brewery or a beverage distributor or a restaurant, everyone knows everyone in that space. The more breweries that we have involved in what's becoming one of the largest national collabs in the country, the more dollars we raise for brain cancer research. And in my opinion, the quicker we're funding this innovative and cutting edge clinical trials and grants to ultimately flip the script. So those two ways, it's not a lot of time. It's not a lot of commitment. We have resources for each. We have documents. We have a proven track record for those. I think those two areas are, are a way that someone with limited involvement can ultimately make a, a pretty big impact. Colin, thank you so much for sharing your story and sharing all about Staff Strong. It was such a pleasure to have you on the podcast today. I'm sure our listeners will love hearing about it just as much as I have. I'm excited for the work that you guys continue to do and hopefully the work our organizations get to do together. And thank you for, uh, for being a part of everything and what you're doing for the community. Yep. Thanks for having me on and excited for, for more ways we can work together for sure. That's it for this week's show. Thank you so much for tuning in again to another episode of Glioblastoma, a.k.a. GBM. To get in touch with our organization, visit us online at gbmresearch.org or visit us on Instagram or Facebook at Glioblastoma Research. Visit us on Twitter at glioblastoma.org or visit us on LinkedIn at Glioblastoma Research Organization. To make a donation to the organization, which is fully tax deductible, visit us online at gbmresearch.org where you can designate your donation in honor of someone or find other methods that you can make a donation with. Thank you again for supporting us, for supporting the show, and we'll see you next week.